Well, good evening. Thank you for joining us this evening. We're continuing our Sunday night series entitled Relationship Status. Last week, we talked about being single. Tonight, we talk about being engaged. I think how people enter a pool can serve as an appropriate illustration to how people enter into the church or relationship with God. You know, some dip their toe in the water and slowly wade in while tightening up their abdominal muscles because the water is so cold. The elegant folks will do the swan dive, leaving no splash at entry. Then there are those who will do a cannonball, figuring that if they're going to get wet, then everyone else should as well. All of these different approaches to entering the pool illustrate a difference in commitment levels. Those who simply stick their toe in the water to feel its temperature are merely getting involved. If the water is too cold, they can get out and go back to the sun. But the one who jumps in has totally committed themselves. There's no turning back. Once they're in the air, they're going to get wet. And when it comes to a relationship with God, many are like the one who dips their toe in the water. They don't dive in. They certainly don't jump in cannonball style and seek to get everyone else wet with their service. No, instead they tend to stay on the outskirts, feeling the water but never immersing themselves completely. In the realm of secular relationships, we might call this person a committophobe. They want the experience that a relationship with the opposite sex provides, but they don't have a desire to go all in. For whatever reason, they have a fear of commitment. They hold back when their boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance pushes them into a relationship and tries to get them to go to the next level. And the same concept applies to some individuals within the church. Some are close to becoming Christians, but they just won't make that next step. They tiptoe around the water. They've gotten close, but they haven't gotten completely wet. Some have been baptized, but still haven't immersed themselves in a commitment to the Lord and His church. You know, my grandfather and grandmother were engaged for seven years before they got married. Finally, my grandmother got tired of waiting and told my grandfather that they were getting married. She said she had to do something because she could no longer wait on him to pull the trigger. And some are like that in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. They're right there. They're on the verge of entering a deep and profound relationship. They are on the edge of a lock, stock, and barrel commitment. They're engaged, but they haven't taken that final step. Does that describe you? If so, I want to encourage you to be more than just involved. I want to encourage you to change your relationship status from engaged to married. Maybe you're asking yourself, well, what's wrong with involvement? I mean, being engaged is something, right? It's certainly better than being single or divorced. What if a young man said to his fiance, why are you so dead set on getting married? I mean, we're together now, I'm here, aren't I? Why are you pushing me for something more? That response says something about the young man's heart, doesn't it? I think we would all agree that there is an, expe an expectation of progression when it comes to a relationship between a man and a woman. There are phases, you have the dating phase, which is where you get to know the other person, where you discover if they are the one, so to speak. And if they pass the test, then the relationship moves into a more committed phase. The two of you agree to exclusivity. You date only one another. And as time goes on, you enter into the engagement phase where you commit to spending the rest of your lives together. That commitment is yet to be sealed, but the two of you agree that it will soon take place because you have determined that you want to spend the rest of your lives together as one. And that's how it works. 
There are phases and each phase deepens the commitment with the marriage phase being the final step in the commitment process. To stall out in the engagement phase raises a certain amount of questions. What's holding you back? Why are you not willing to take the final step? Do you want to spend the rest of your life, the rest of your life with me? Whether, whether we're talking about a full-blown commitment in a relationship with the opposite sex or with God, engagement just isn't enough. Involvement is good, but it's not ultimate. Simply consider the terms. Involvement means to engage as a participant. To be engaged means to be involved or to be busy or occupied. And that sounds right, even noble. Until you consider that commitment is to pledge to a particular cause. It is to be bound or obligated. It is to place our full faith and trust in something. And that's quite different than mere involvement. In fact, we might well say that involvement falls short. Engagement leaves something to be desired. If you're not going to take it to the next level, then why not? Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. And in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, here is what we read. It says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. James illustrates for us the difference between being involved and being committed. What's wrong with saying to one in need, go in peace and be warmed and be filled? I mean, that's something, isn't it? And sure it is, but it's not everything. Biblical compassion is about meeting the need because when you think about it, compassion really means nothing without action. Sure, it certainly doesn't mean as much, right? Commitment means nothing without action. Faith is commitment. James tells us in no uncertain terms that faith without works is dead. So commitment demands action on my part. To place my full trust and confidence in the Lord is going to demand something from me. Commitment also demands a choice. Like Joshua stated in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, we must choose this day whom we'll serve. Life is about choices. Some are big, some are small, and the biggest choice you have to make is choosing whether you will serve the one true God or some other little g-god? Will it be the almighty God or the almighty dollar, for instance? Will it be the Lord uh, of, of all or the world? Will it be things or will it be the king? And along with that, commitment demands that we prioritize. Once we've made the choice to serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our priorities must change to reflect that commitment. You must not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, like Paul says. You live like a new creature in Christ. You seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. You are zealous for the cause of Christ. You hold God's word in highest esteem. You, you persevere through trials and tribulation. You pray without ceasing. You give of your time. You labor and you toil. You worship with the saints. You must give God every fiber of your being, which means that he receives top priority. Commitment demands something else as well. It demands growth. Commitment and complacency are bitter rivals. In fact, complacency or status quo indicates a lack of growth. It is the mark of stunted growth. We, we are to continually grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like newborn babies, we are to long for the pure milk of the word so that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. Peter gives us a list of virtues that we should add to our lives. Things like moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and love. 
The Hebrew writer speaks of those who have stopped growing when he writes, for though, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Christianity is, is not about being a passive recipient, but rather it's about being an active participant. At some point, we must take off the bib and start feeding ourselves. And the Christian life is signified by growth and development every day is an opportunity to learn more, to do more, to be more than we ever have before. When we die and leave this earth, we should die climbing. Commitment also demands selfless sacrifice. You know, I read an article recently about camping and enjoying the great outdoors. And within this article, staff members from one particular state park shared actual responses from comment cards that were left by visitors. Allow me to share some of them with you. One camper wrote, trails need to be reconstructed and please avoid building trails that go uphill. Another commented, please pave the trails. Chairlifts need to be installed in some places so that we can get to wonderful views without having to hike to them. Someone actually wrote, escalators would help on some of the steeper hills. And of course, this one was my all-time favorite. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. Now, obviously, these, com these comments show that the people who wrote them don't fully grasp the outdoor experience and what it entails. Camping and hiking will naturally require sacrifice. It demands that you do without certain creature comforts. That's why they call it camping or hiking. But these folks were seeking comfort and convenience, much like many spiritual seekers. New Age mystic religions are popping up all the time, claiming many adherents, and, and yet Christianity seems to be making a much smaller impact in comparison. Why is that? Well, I can't help but think it's because of the cost of commitment that comes with Christianity. How committed we are to something depends on how much we value it. This is true of anything in life. The things that we value most are the things that we are the most committed to. So if you value athletics, you're going to commit your time and energy to be the best athlete you can possibly be. If you value your job, you'll put in the extra time and effort to be the best employee you can possibly be. If you value money, you will be consumed with making more of it, investing it, turning a profit, etc. What you value most is what you will be committed to. It's also what we will give top priority to. If your spouse physically or emotionally abuses you or cheats on you, then they don't really love you or value you. If your best friend stabs you in the back or deceives you, he or she doesn't really value you. If you're lazy at your job, you don't really value it like you should. Commitment levels are based on value. Are you committed to self? Well, then you will value things that serve you. Are you committed to your spouse? Well, then you will treasure him or her and value him or her as you should. Are you committed to your children? Well, then you will treasure them and seek to provide for them, nourish them, and love them with all your heart. All these commitments require action. The things you value will receive action on your part. You will do something to show your commitment. You will be active in displaying how committed you are and how much you value what you treasure. Our commitment level is directly connected to how much value we place on whatever it is that we're committing to. So when we scan the demands of discipleship, we should scan our lives as well and ask, am I committed or am I merely involved? To deny yourself and take up your cross is not easy. 
You can't sit in the back of your pickup and haul it. You can't put it back there. You can't put it on, on, on someone else's back. You can't put wheels on it and roll it. You must carry it. That's why it's so difficult. But that's also, also why it's worth it. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 14, beginning of verse 27. And there, Jesus says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? When he sits out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. How many priorities can a disciple have? Jesus makes it abundantly clear that no one, no cost, or no thing is to take precedence over or interfere with our relationship to Him. It is our relationship with Jesus that shapes, defines, determines, and characterizes all other aspects of our lives, who we are, what we say, and what we do. Here's how we often define discipleship, right? As a believer, one who attends church regularly, one who is moral, one who does good deeds. But verse 25 that we just read in Luke 14 tells us that large crowds followed Jesus. They followed but they were not disciples. Because there's more to discipleship than just traveling with Jesus. Surely there were some good people in the crowd. There had to be some who were moral and who believed in doing good. And to these followers, Jesus says, whoever does not carry his own cross cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not give up all his possessions cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not hate his own family, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. There is a difference between a follower and a disciple. To the large crowd of followers, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you gotta pay the price. The offer is free, but there is a cost involved. Becoming a disciple means putting your life in Jesus' hands, and Jesus says, before you do that, consider the cost. Are you ready and willing to give up anything and everything for this relationship? In other words, do you love me more? There was a man who wanted to sell his house for a modest price. Another man desperately wanted the house. The problem was that the man who wanted to purchase the home could not come up with enough money to buy the house. And after a great deal of negotiating, the owner of the house agreed to sell it for half of the original amount under one condition, that he would still own one nail that hung over the home's front door. So. While odd, the agreement was made and the sale of the house was completed. And after a few years, the original owner of the house wanted to buy it back, but the new owner refused to sell. So the original owner went out and he found the carcass of a dead skunk and he hung it on the nail that he still owned in the house. Well, before long, the house became so unlivable that the family was forced to sell to the owner of the nail. There may be someone that is watching this evening that has given quite a bit of their life to the Lord but not all of it. Maybe they attend services every week. Maybe, maybe they study their Bible. Maybe they pray. Maybe they do some really noble things, but there's something that's hindering them from going all in. Is, is there one area of your life that you're leaving uncommitted to Christ? Do you have one nail 
that is still owned by the world or by the devil, where the rotting, disgusting rubbish of sin still hangs, the only way to remove it is by selling out and being totally and completely committed to the Lord and His church. Not engagement, but total commitment. Maybe you've been dating the Lord and His church for a while and it's time to make a full-on commitment. Are you ready to sell out? Let's pray. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day. We thank you so much for the love and grace and mercy and compassion you have shown on us. And we thank you for not, for not giving up on us and for always believing in us. Maybe, may we, God, be faithful disciples of yours. May we be totally and completely invested. May we seek to follow close on your heels. May we live our lives at the center of your will and be about the Father's business. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week. Bye-bye.